Okay, so has anybody here um, watched Breaking Bad, the show? Show of hands. Yeah. A few of you are willing to admit it. Uh, the rest of you, you know, either you have. That's okay. Either way, we'll, we'll try to fill it in. Let me, let me just say right out of the gate, okay, this is not like a, a recommendation, okay? Uh, it's not exactly, you know, family-friendly. Uh, and yet, I, I've got to say this, okay? Of all the things maybe on television the last few years, I would say this show has some of the best theology, honestly. Okay, it, it's not about, you know, God, the Bible, Jesus, okay? It doesn't get the whole story, uh, but when it comes to um, our proclivity for sin, right, human depravity, our, our, the reality of evil, as well as our longing for both justice and redemption, uh, I think Breaking Bad hits, hits the nail on the head, quite honestly. I heard an inter- interview a few months ago, actually it was, it was, uh, more like probably a couple years ago, um, with uh, the show's creator, Vince, Vince Gilligan. And he's a fascinating individual, okay? He grew up Catholic, is now agnostic, uh, but he describes the show as an attempt to take a decent family man and turn him into a monster in order to show us the depravity that lives in each of us, to show us that any one of us could very easily play the villain. At one point in the interview, he says, I can stand the thought that there's no heaven, but I don't know that I can stand the thought that there's no hell. Because, you know, where is Hitler then? There's got to be some kind of payback. I'm not saying there is, but we tend to want to believe there is. I've got to believe the wheel turns for everybody who does, you know, truly horrible deeds. I've got to believe in some cosmic wheel of justice. And there's one scene in particular that gets, gets right at this. And if you don't know the premise, I mean, it's basically about this high school chemistry teacher who diagnosed with cancer, uh, who comes up with this plan to cook crystal meth to support his family when he's gone, okay? A little bit dark, right? Uh, and he enlists the help of, of uh, a former student of his, Jesse, uh, to help him build this, this truly evil drug empire. But the scene we're going to watch in just a second, Jesse is trying to cryptically confess his sins to his Narcotics Anonymous support group. He feels the weight of what he's done. And the best advice that he's given in this group is that he just he has to accept himself. Just move on. It's not that big of a deal. They don't really know what's going on in his, his life. And Jesse knows that it's just not good enough. Let's watch. So the truth is, we can't change the past. What's done is done. We got to own our actions, but putting ourselves on trial, acting as our own judge, jury, and executioner, it's not the answer. Because a lot of the time, all that judging does is just ensure that we're going to repeat the cycle. Right? We're not here to sit in judgment. Why not? The thing is, if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? What's the point? Oh, right, this, this whole thing is about self-acceptance. Kicking out of yourself doesn't give meaning to anything. So I should stop judging and accept. To start. So no matter what I do, Hooray for me, because I'm a great guy. 
It's all good. No matter how many dogs I kill, I just or do an inventory and accept. I mean, you back your truck over your own kid and you like accept? What a load of crap. Hey, Jesse, I know you're in pain. No, you, you know what? Why I'm here in the first place is to sell you meth. You're nothing to me but customers. You okay with that? Huh? You accept? No. About time. Jesse Pinkman, the theologian. Did you catch what he said right at the beginning? If you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's the point? What's it, what's it matter, right? Does, does it really matter? Do our choices, does our, does our life actually matter? And what I find so fascinating about this scene, right, is, is that in a culture like ours, we don't even really hardly believe in the idea of sin anymore, of right and wrong. And so it is just sort of, you know, accept yourself. It's going to be okay. Try harder. Do better next time. But we don't really take it seriously. And yet here, right, on this incredibly popular show, Jesse knows better. So do you, right? I mean, whether whether you're a Christian or not, I I don't think it particularly matters in this case. I think that you know deep down that we were never meant to live like this. Don't you? I mean, when I, when I snap at my kids out of impatience again, or, or I say something mean-spirited to my wife, right, the people that I love the most and I hurt them, is it supposed to be like that? Or, or you give in to, to fear and anxiety and worry again, or you let what people think about you control you again. Or you give in on the internet one more time. Or you buy something you can't afford just because it makes you feel a little bit better again. And it just leaves you feeling more and more hollow inside. Accept yourself. We know better, don't we? And that feeling within you, right, that you experience, the feeling that, that this world shouldn't be this way. That you shouldn't be this way. That I shouldn't. The Bible explains why we feel that. It talks about it in Romans 5. We heard it read just a moment ago. But you can see it all throughout Scripture, all throughout our world, all throughout our lives. We know, we experience that we were never meant to live like this. We were never meant for selfishness and greed and anger and lust. We were never meant for gossip and impatience and arrogance. Sin does not belong here. And we know it, just like Jesse Pinkman. Now, we're in the middle of a series, right? If you 
are new with us this morning or just visiting, let me kind of catch up a little bit of what we're doing. Uh, we're not just picking this really, really hard topic at random to talk about, right? The, the ugliness of, of sin. We're, we're talking about the things that we as Christians hold to, right? Our core beliefs, taking, taking one week kind of on each to give a little bit of an overview. And we're asking the question, does it really matter? Uh, does it really matter what we, what we believe about God, uh, about the Bible? And this morning, does it really matter what we believe about us? Does it, does it really matter how we a- answer this question? What's, what's wrong with me? Is it nothing? Is it something? What, what's the answer? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5. Look again at verse 12. Again, we, we read this passage. It's so dense, right? Paul's logic is so, frankly, intense. It's hard to follow what he's getting at here. Let me read again verse 12. Don't get lost. He says, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's, let's, let's stop there. Well, what do, we, what do we learn about ourselves, about the human condition, the, the problem? What do we learn about sin? Well, I think here in verse 12 and the verses that follow, we learn four things about sin. We learn that sin is an imposter, that sin is a plague, sin is death, And finally, eventually, that sin ultimately is defeated. And I can see from all of your, you know, faces that you're really excited, right? You just can't wait to to jump right in. I know, it's it's heavy stuff. But let's get right to it. Um, it's, It's hard, but tough. So look what he says. First, the idea that that sin is an imposter. Uh, It doesn't it doesn't belong. Uh, it, it was never meant to be a part of the world that, that, God, that God made. That's what he says right away in verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man. It was never meant to be like this. God did not create this world with sin in it. And that's a really important point, okay? Uh, because when you look at pain and suffering and heartache and, and all the brokenness and sin that we experience... It didn't exist in the world that God made. Not originally. Right, the world God made, you can read about it in Genesis 1 and 2, the world he made was perfect. And you and I were meant to be perfect. And we feel anything less great against us. But God also created us with an ability to choose. Right, his way or our way. He didn't, he didn't make a bunch of robots, right? He made us in his own image, and he made us to know him and love him and be loved by him in perfect relationship with him. But Adam and Eve said no thanks, right? And decided to do it their own way. We don't really need you, right? And, and essentially, that's, that's what sin is, right? It's, it's rebellion against the one who made us. It's, it's looking at the things that he says and saying, you know what, God, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with them. It's, it's treason, really. Um, think of it like this. Uh, imagine if, if we humans had the ability to create intelligent life. You know, maybe someday, right? But imagine if at some point that intelligent life re- rejects us, right? Wants nothing to do with us. In fact, even is willing to destroy us, eager to destroy us. 
mean, think, of, think of the outrage, right? Think of the betrayal, the sense of, of betrayal in that moment. And I, and I realize I just told you the plot of Terminator, right? I get it. Um, people have thought about this before. Uh, but that essentially, that's the kind of war we have waged on our creator. And if we're honest, deep down in our sinfulness, we would be glad to see our maker killed, to see him dead. That's what sin is. It's treason. Rebellion. C.S. Lewis writes, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And in that terrible moment with Adam and Eve, everything changed. Everything. Selfishness entered war and injustice. And not not just us, right? Not just we as humans, but the whole of the created order began to, to fall apart. Death, disease, disaster. And it's all our fault. And as you understand, as we understand our, our world, as we understand the nature of humanity, as we understand the pervasive brokenness around us, we've got to remember and it's a really cheery thought that we're the ones who opened this door. We're the ones who let the imposter in. Every horrible thing, every broken heart, every terrible disease, come on in, we said. And we like to to blame God, I think, don't we? Kind of gets us off the hook a little bit. We like to sort of ask, you know, in the midst of disaster, disease, heartache, whatever it is, you know, shake our finger at God and say, why? Why, why God? But the reality is we, we forget that these things, they wouldn't be here if we hadn't chosen to rebel. The world, the world God made didn't contain, this, this is not the world he made, not like this. Now, I'm not saying that every bad thing that ever happens is a direct consequence of your sin, okay? Like, you know, you stub your toe and it must be because you sinned or something. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, okay? Uh, suffering is way more mysterious than, frankly, we Christians tend to often act as, if it, as it is, right? It's, it's deeply, deeply mysterious to us. And yet, here, here's what I am saying. That none of this junk would exist if we hadn't rebelled. None of it. And every bit of it ought to remind us that sin is that bad. I mean, just an example of this, we were reminded this week of just the, you know, the the mess, right? The brokenness. I mean, it's not even really that big of a deal, but it was at the time for sure. Our son David, last Sunday evening, uh, fell off the swing and he broke both of his arms trying to catch himself. Um, and it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's not great, but he's doing great. Uh, he's, he's, you know, recovering. He's not, in, he's not in any pain anymore. Very, very, very little. He's getting used to it. But, you know, he's seven years old, summer break, right? And, and those first couple of days as a parent, some of you have been there, right? When you watch your child just sort of writhe in pain and you are helpless to do anything about it. And then just sort of adding to that, that I, I feel this with my son. I think this was the hardest part for me is, is here he's at that age where he's just beginning to think maybe, just maybe this God might be worth trusting. This God that my parents keep talking about. Maybe he's worth trusting. And so last Sunday morning, right, he's singing his heart out with us in church and he's taking communion and all of that. And then a few hours later to have to try to help him see that God is still good. He's, he's still loving 
He's still worth trusting. The thing is, we never stop asking those questions. I mean, the reality is they, they just get harder, right? Some of you are in it, right? And even, even a worse place than we can possibly, than I could possibly imagine some of you are. And we ask God, why? Why do we experience it? This is what we've done with the world. We open the door to the most horrible imposter. We can't just sort of pin this junk on God. We were never meant to live this way. Take responsibility for the disasters that you see. We never should have joined Adam's rebellion. Wait, what? I don't remember joining any rebellion. I mean, how is this fair, right? Adam did this a long time ago. You know, he made his mistakes. Why, why, how is it fair that we feel the mess, right, and the experience of it, and we struggle with that? And the reality is we're going to continue to struggle with that. We're not going to solve that this morning. I promise you that. But the reality is, and this is what Paul gets to next, is that sin is also a plague. And it has infected us, every one of us, whether we like it or not. When Adam rebelled, there in that perfect garden, the plague spread instantly and universally, and like any self-respecting plague, it came devouring, spreading and destroying, feasting on us and feasting on our world. Again, look at, at verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, or, or verse 18 says very similarly, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And verse, verse 19, look there. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So you following this. Adam's one sin, one act of rebellion, one disobedience condemns all of us. For, for in it, in that moment, we all became sinners. It's the idea of, of human depravity. Sometimes theologians call it total depravity, uh, which I think, I think sometimes as Christians we, we misunderstand that if you, you know, walk in theology, if you understand some of that. Uh, sometimes we, we tend to think, well, total depravity means that we're as bad as we could be. I don't think that's what it means at all. Uh, in fact, I mean, you look around, right? We see so much goodness still in life and in our world. We're still created in God's image. That hasn't been destroyed. It's been marred. Um, total depravity means that Everything about us, everything in our world has been touched by, by what Adam and Eve chose to do. Every bit of who we are, everything around us, it's, it's been tainted. It hasn't been necessarily destroyed, but tainted, marred, corrupted because of what he chose to do. Maybe think of it this way. Um, it's kind of like when you, when you buy a new computer. We did this recently. Um, and it comes with all of these, like, factory defaults, right? You know, somebody somewhere decided that these are the things, this is the way your computer should work. The reality is we humans, we also come with defaults. And prior to our rebellion, our default settings were love and joy and peace and and faith and relationship with God and everything good. That's how we were wired to live. But now, because of sin, our entire system has been corrupted. And it's not that those things are no longer present. Right? It's, not, it's not that we completely lose the ability to love or to experience goodness or joy or any, anything like that. It's just that they're no longer our default settings. Sin is now our default. Pride and selfishness and greed. Yeah, but still, how is that fair? Anybody else like just not 
sitting really well, right? I don't like this. How is it, how is it fair? Adam blew it. Why should we suffer? What Paul said in verse 12, right, right there at the end, he said, all sinned. And what he means is that when Adam sinned, in ways that we can't even begin to get our minds around, we also sinned. That Adam as our, as our representative, right? And this is, this is so hard for us, I think especially in our individualistic culture. You know, other cultures where they have a much greater sense of collective identity, of, you know, family, tribe, nation, etc. Uh, it's not that difficult to get, your, get their minds around, right? They understand how one person can affect the whole so deeply. But for us, right, the individual is, is king, right? We're so focused on, on my world, my choices, and, and everything with me that this is, this is really hard for us. But you see, Adam, as the first man, was our representative. In fact, the, the word Adam, right, that's his name, uh, it's just the Hebrew word for man or mankind. It's, it's meant to be taken broadly. Yes, Adam was, a, I think, a real person. I, be, I believe that he was, and yet he was more than just a single person. He was the representative of, of all humankind. And, quite literally, I mean, if, if you believe that Adam was the first man, then he's the source of every one of us. Which means, in a very real yet strangely philosophical way, we were there, genetically, in Adam when he rebelled. Just blew your mind, right? But that, that's the, that our DNA, right? We were there. We were present in that moment with him. And our genetic wiring ever since has been one of guilt and shame. The change was instant and it was universal. You may, maybe another way of, of looking at it. Um, imagine a world with two kingdoms at war with one another. And whatever happened, right, there was a rebellion a long time ago. Maybe you don't even know the history of it, right? That was, that was Adam's fault, right? We can pin, pin that on him, so to speak. Um, but what that means, these two kingdoms, is that whoever's born into those kingdoms, they're, they're born at war with one another. It's just the way it goes, right? If you're born in a, in a nation at war with another nation, you are also at war. And that, that's the reality of what is happening with us. We are born into a kingdom at war with our Creator, and still, if you don't, you know, like it, um, one, other, one other thing to say is that at the very least, you got to ask yourself if you would actually have done any better. Right? You may not like the fact that we get sort of drawn into Adam's sin, but what's your track record? Honestly. I mean, Adam took a little bit of fruit. Ooh. Right? What have you taken? Who have you hurt? How have you rebelled? None of us are innocent. And besides, I mean, this is perhaps the one theological truth that is pretty much empirically verifiable. Right? I mean, no matter what you believe, right? You may not God, the Bible, Jesus, you know, those, those, that takes faith, right? None of those are empirical. But this one, Right? Every one of us knows. You may, you may not know why, you may not know how to, how to articulate it, but no matter what your faith commitment, you know that there's something not right with this world. You feel it deep within you. And if you're honest, you know that there's something not right in here as well. We know it. I mean, just, just turn on the news. Do a, do a little uh, human history study. Right? Look at your coworker, your roommate. 
Look at your kids for crying out loud. You didn't have to teach them how to sin, and chances are, I'm guessing, they're probably pretty good at it, aren't they? You see it. And look at your heart. It is obvious to all of us that no matter how it started, this plague has spread, and we were never meant to live like this. So a couple weeks ago, going on with this, this plague theme, we watched the movie uh, World War Z, um, which now you just think all I ever watch is like really dark stuff, right? World War Z. It's about a plague that takes over, it's zombies, uh, it kind of destroys pretty much everything. Um, so maybe, I, yeah, maybe I maybe have issues, but um, like any plague, right, it does, it does what it does. It comes to destroy and to devour. And listen, okay, so I, I have a point here, I promise, I think. Um, Listen, if, if you treat your sin as anything less than a plague, as anything less than an all-pervasive disease that will destroy you, it's sort of like giving an aspirin to a zombie. I mean, do you really think it's going to help? I mean, really? I mean, so, so here's the application point. Yes, I want you to actually write this down. Don't give aspirin to zombies. Don't do it. I lost the bet. Had to get zombies up on the screen. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But seriously, okay? Uh, do, do you get what I'm saying? We treat, I treat my sin so casually. That's not a big deal. Just accept yourself. It's, it's fine. Right? And we think that we can fix it, don't we? We just try a little bit harder. You know, work a little bit more effectively. If we just get enough energy, if we just buy the right self-help books, maybe even read them, Right? If we just educate people good enough, if we just pass the right laws, if we can just teach our kids a few good morals, I mean, if you think that you can fix yourself or the people around you, I can just see some of you, zombie apocalypse, passing out Advil, right? You are worse than you think. So am I. The disease has infected every one of us, and it's, it's the worst disease the world has ever seen, and it will destroy every victim and devour every soul, and that virus lives in every one of us. We need something more. We don't just need a little help. We need a cure. We don't, we don't just need a few tweaks in our moral behavior. We need new hearts. Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. Do you see how desperate you are? How desperate I am? Okay, so this has been fun, right? Um, so far we said everything is our fault. Um, every, every bad thing, not the good things, just the bad things. Everything is our fault. Uh, also that we're infected with this soul-devouring disease. Um, did I mention yet that we're also dead? Like dead already even. Some of you are like, I'm so glad I came to church, right? I love it here. Nathan, can I have another? Um, yeah, well, well, sin is death, okay? That's, that's the third thing we see here. Uh, you sin, you die. But don't take my word for it. That's, that's what Paul is, is getting at. Let's read again here, beginning in verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, complex. I, yeah, it's, it's hard to follow what, what's, what's happening here. Uh, but what he's not saying is that, you know, sin didn't count before the law began. He's saying it was counted differently. And the way that we know it, and this is his point, is like whether you have the law, so he's talking to Jewish people, right, who are steeped in Old Testament law. He's telling them whether you have the law or not, we know that sin reigns because death reigns. And it has always reigned ever since the fall. And everywhere death reigns, you can be certain that sin reigns. And everywhere sin reigns, you can be certain that death reigns. Sin is the imposter. It's, it's the final enemy. It's exactly what God said would happen when he told Adam, he's like, you're going to die if you eat this fruit. And we see it. We fight against it. But it is the ultimate consequence of our sin. I mean, don't you find it interesting? I mean, I find it interesting, at least. I don't know if you will, I guess. But I find it fascinating, quite honestly, that the one thing that you and I can be certain of one th- I mean, think about that. Our, whatever, 70, 80 years, the one thing that you can count on for sure is that you will die. People have been living and dying for a long time. We've got a lot of experience with death. And we all know it, and yet not one of us is used to it. Not one of us. I mean, how is that possible, right? We will do any, we don't like talking about it, we don't like thinking about it, we'll do anything to avoid it, to hide it from our, our physical body, right, that we're aging. We, we despise death, and we will do anything to stay alive. I mean, to me, that, that says that we weren't created for death. We, we must, I mean, the only answer to that is that we must have been made for something more. One, one example of, of a time when this really hit me hard uh, it was back in, it was just after seminary, a couple of years after, uh, my cousin Gwen died unexpectedly, 27 years old, a week before her wedding day. The funeral was on the same day as her wedding. It was just terrible. And she, she was the, the cousin that Kelly and I were closest to. She worked in the, the library throughout seminary, so I saw her like every day for three years pretty much. Um, and I just, I remember in the midst of that tragedy, right, going to her funeral, and hundreds of people were there, and sort of stopping for a moment in the midst of the grief and sort of stepping back and sort of surveying what was happening. And I just remember being struck with the, the shock in people's faces. The, the sense of, of pain and agony in that moment. I just remember thinking, how is it? After how many years of human history, every one of us living and dying, how is it that we're not used to this? How is it that we still grieve so that it hurts, that it rips us apart? when we think about death and we see the death of people that we love. And it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. That, that apart from Christ, this death already rules in your heart, just waiting to destroy your body. And then, of course, judgment and condemnation. Sin is eternal death. Sin is hell. And yet one of the things that we Christians are so good at, that I'm so good at it, and I don't think you have to be a Christian, honestly. I think we're all probably pretty good at it. Um, We're really good at focusing uh, on our sins rather than on our sin. What I mean by that is is we we like to attack the behavior, right? We see things we don't like about us, right? 
You, you know, you have bad habits. You, you do things that lead to consequences. And you look at those, and we look at those, and we say, well, if I can just get rid of those problems in my life without actually addressing the death that lives in our hearts, the disease. Because if this is who we are, if this is what sin is, we've got to treat the disease and not just the symptoms. We've got to, or we're dead. I mean, just one example, right? For, for some of you, uh, your biggest problem is not that you look at porn, okay? For some of you, that's, that's part, of your, part of your struggle, part of your situation. I'm not making light of that in the least, but it's not your biggest problem. Uh, and for many of you in that situation, you are attacking the symptoms, right? You're doing your best not to look. And good, good, right? You should be in an accountability group, and you should, you should put software on your computer. You should do any of that. And yet, if that's all it is, all you will ever do is treat the symptoms, The biggest problem is not that you look, it's that you have a heart, that we have hearts that love to look, that love to take, that we have so rebelled against our God, right? The one who made us and created us for for pleasure and joy and intimacy, that we are willing to exploit another human being to be able to take for ourselves, to feel better, to get a little pleasure, a little intimacy. And that's that's the pattern with every one of our sins. I mean, it's it's not just that you gossip, right? As important as that. It's not just that. It's that you don't love anybody enough. to to keep their stuff secret and that you're so insecure about yourself that you have to tell everybody. It's not just that you're materialistic and you enjoy buying stuff. It's that life is so empty, you've got to fill it with something. It's not just that I'm selfish, speaking personally here. It's that deep down, I really think sometimes that I'm God, that I'm in charge and I know even in this moment, some of us are saying, come on, Nathan, it can't be that bad, right? And one glance at your life, you're, you're so good at controlling the symptoms or at least keeping them in check or at least hiding from them that you don't even believe you have the disease and nobody else around you does either. You just think it's fine, right? It's not that big of a deal. You keep it in check. It's, it's going to be okay. But, but that's what happens when we treat symptoms instead of diseases. I mean, uh, look at it this way. If you were to, to go to a hospital, right, and, um, you know, visit some sick friends, two of them. The first room you go in, you're not a doctor, but you know, right? You can tell from the symptoms that person is dying. They need every bit of medical attention that can be thrown at them, right? You feel it when you see them. You know it because of the symptoms. But the reality is you can go in the next room and you can have a great conversation with your friend. You can laugh and enjoy it and all of that. You can not even hardly even see any symptoms in that person. And yet we all know, right? Quite possibly, that person could have a, a disease that's absolutely incurable. And death may be just around the corner, even though the symptoms are, they're in check. The person feels fine. You wouldn't even know it. And when we only treat the symptoms, right? In that situation, you wouldn't do anything, right? If you met that person on the street, you wouldn't do anything. And we hide our symptoms. We control them. We minimize them. When the reality is the disease is, con- is, is killing us silently destroying us. You can look great on the outside and have a heart that is terribly far from God. And listen, you will never change if all you ever do is focus on your behavior. It's not that behavior is unimportant. It certainly is. But if all you ever focus is on your behavior, there's really just, I think, two solutions. Two things are going to happen. You're either going to become completely defeated, right? Because you, you know your inadequacy. If you're honest with yourself, you see it and you feel it and you just you feel like a waste, right? Defeated. Or you'll think you're doing pretty good at it and you'll become self-righteous and smug, right? You'll think you've actually achieved these standards that you've put in place for yourself, but either way, the disease will kill you. We were never meant 
to live like this. And there's only one cure. There's only one way to be made whole again. But before we get there, I, I don't want us to just rush to the good news until we have time to, to sit in the bad. I mean, that's a temptation, right? In this moment, that's my temptation as, as a preacher. I, I don't like talking about this stuff. It, it hurts me, right? I feel it in me, and it makes us uncomfortable. And yet, if we just rush to the good news without talking about the bad, we won't realize how good the good news is, right? I mean, why would you pursue a cure if you don't really think you're diseased? If you don't really think that you have a problem? And so we want to we sit with that question of what, what's wrong with me? Sin is an imposter. Sin is a plague. Sin is death. But let's just stop and take a couple of minutes to reflect on a couple of questions. Two, very simple. Ask yourself, why do I fail to take my sin seriously? Where do I fail? And what is God asking me to do about it? And if you've never turned to God away from your sin, now is the time to do so to repent, to confess your sins, to call on Jesus as your Savior. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but I've done that. The reality is, if you're a Christian, this is something we never stop doing. We never stop repenting. Never stop turning away from our sin, turning to this God who loves us and rescues. We never stop running to Jesus. So let's, let's sit Let's pray, pray quietly for a while. After a bit, Patrick will come up and sing a song, and then I will uh, come back up here, and we'll keep going. Let's pray quietly together now. is God, hearts and homes, comfort seems a siren tune, we're a valley of dry bones, lead us back to Yeah.
Sin is an imposter. It's a plague infecting every one of us, and it is death, and it leads only to death. But sin is also defeated. And this, this really is Paul's whole point. I mean, we spent most of our time talking about the bad news because that's where we're going the next couple of weeks, right? And we're at this part in our doctrine, our belief system, asking these questions. But we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what, what is this good news in the next couple of weeks. But his, this is his whole point for Paul. He, he doesn't write these words for us so that we just simply wallow in the bad, but so that we will rejoice in the good. For if in Adam, and this, this is what he's saying, Paul, again, he's, he's a brilliant uh, logician, right? Thinking through all these arguments and all these details. He knows logic and philosophy. He's well-trained. And his whole point is that if Adam, if, if that's how sin enters the world, and death, and brokenness, and everything evil, everything that we hate, if it comes through this one man, Adam, then maybe, right, maybe, through this one man, Jesus, a whole new realm can be created, a whole new world of goodness, and love, and forgiveness, and life, then maybe, maybe we can have it for ourselves. That's what he's been trying to say. He gets at it, I think, best in verse 17. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life to the one man, Jesus Christ? So if we still don't think it's fair to get blamed for Adam's sin, yeah, here's how Paul turns it, right? That maybe we don't like that part, but we also have the ability, right? The opportunity to have all of Christ's goodness and righteousness and life credited to us. That we, we can have that for ourselves because Jesus is the better Adam. Instead of, I mean, the old Adam, right? Bringing in death and pain and all that agony. Jesus is the start of a, a new humani- humanity, a new, a new possibility. Instead of o- disobedience, Paul says, there's obedience. Instead of condemnation, there's, there's justification. Instead of judgment, there's grace. And instead of death, there's life. Because all we have to do to enter into Adam's kingdom of death and sin, all we have to do is be born. We know it, we feel it, we see it. We can't hardly escape it. That's all we have to do. But all we have to do to enter into this life that Jesus offers us is to be born anew. To come to him, to give our our lives to him, to turn away from our sins, say, yes, God, I want you to tell me who I am. I want you to define my reality. 
For our sin reminds us, right? Shows us that we, you, me, we are more broken, more sinful than we could even possibly imagine. And yet the cross shows us powerfully that we are more deeply loved than we would ever dare to even hope. That he has done that for us. We were never meant to live like this. And the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to. Let's pray. God, again, even as I say these words, I and read, read your word, and I understand, and I come here to, to, to teach and explain, God, I feel so inadequate. I feel the weight of my own brokenness, my own need and desperation before you. And so, God, I come asking for forgiveness, for grace. And we come believing that in Jesus, you welcome every sinner. Because of what Christ has done, if we come to you in faith and repentance, God, you welcome us with open arms that you long to to show your love and your goodness and your faithfulness to us. God, I pray that you would help us to believe. God, I pray for those who, even in this moment, maybe this sermon, this text, I mean, it's, it's gonna be heavy and difficult for all of us, but for some, I'm guessing it was pretty excruciating. God, I pray that you would show them where they need to repent, where they need to change. And God, I pray that we as a church would know how to help them, that they would seek help, that we'd be able to encourage and bring hope, not just treating symptoms, but the disease that lives in our hearts. God, I pray that you would bring comfort and hope of better things. And God, for those who don't know you, God, who, who don't believe probably just about anything I've said, except maybe the fact that we are broken and messed up. God, I pray that you would show them that there is a solution, uh, that it's not a mistake that we feel this way. God, I pray that we together would long for your redemption. And God, as we come to you now in response to these things, God, I, I pray that we would celebrate your good news, that we would be able to rejoice in the fact that we, your people, have been redeemed, called and chosen by you to know you and love you, to be restored to the life that we long to live. Help us to experience that now through the glory of your son, Jesus, as we worship in Christ's name.